right, grab your Bibles. We're going to start in Luke 22 and then go to 1 Corinthians 10. Um, continuing on this push of membership, leadership, uh, church function, um, all the realities that go along with church life. There are two key, um, uh, we'll call them observances, that the New Testament gives us as a church that we're to pay particular attention to. One is the Lord's Supper, which we'll uh, consider today, and then baptism, which we'll consider next week, and ap- actually baptize a couple folks. Uh, you're looking around. If you're familiar with a typical church building context, you see something that's missing, and so you're like, how that's going to happen? How is that going to happen? And so we're still trying to figure out how that's going to happen. It's going to happen. So just, uh, just be prepared maybe for something a little different next Sunday. Um, unique, maybe has a little character. Uh, who knows how it's going to unfold because we still don't know. Uh, but that's for next week. We'll teach through baptism and actually celebrate baptism. Uh, today, l- focusing on the Lord's Supper, um, we need to be reminded that the Lord's Supper is the only new covenant act of the local church that we actually have a prescription for like the bible actually tells us do this because jesus said do this and so we use terms or phrases like lord's supper you'll hear it referred to as the lord's table uh maybe the word eucharist if you're familiar with that word that's just comes from the greek meaning thanksgiving uh communion various different words for the bulk of this teaching and really the bulk of our conversation here at redeemer we'll use the phrase lord's supper now, just a word of clarification before we get into the text. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of our service to uh, conclude our service today. Uh, just a clarification about the what we call the elements, the bread and juice. Um, we have bread there. It came from a loaf. Uh, with clean hands, we tore it into pieces and put it on that tray. Uh, we have juice in cups there. It came from a larger container of juice and poured it into those cups. Uh, and just as we'll see in our discussion about baptism water next week, there's really nothing mystical about this bread and about this juice that we're going to consume. Uh, They do not, uh, as the Catholic Church teaches, contain the actual body and blood of Jesus. They do not transform into the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, Big word, transubstantiation. We don't hold to that tenet. Uh, But they do represent, in an incredibly significant way, the completed work of Christ, His body and His blood on our behalf. And so we want to approach the Lord's Supper with proper understanding and proper action with proper reverence, understanding that as we are uh, in awe of what Christ has done for us, we're also celebrating what Christ has done uh, for us. And so we don't approach this casually. Uh, there's bread and there's juice. To, to go with um, honey buns and Coke is probably a tad bit disrespectful to the reality of the Lord's Supper, right? So we want to heighten the, the, the mindset that we have when we come to the Lord's table, to the Lord's Supper. So we want to approach these two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism, rightly. We want to understand uh, as best we can the, what the Bible teaches us and understand why this actually matters for us here at Redeemer. So we're going to read two texts, Luke chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians 11, starting in Luke 22, and then we'll go right into uh, 1 Corinthians 11. So, Luke 22 and verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will, we, where will you have us prepare it? 
He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where's the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's been betrayed. And so the event leading up to the denial, the betrayal, the arrest, and the ultimate crucifixion of Christ. Jesus celebrates what we know as the Passover feast. We'll look at it in a little more detail in just a moment. And as he's celebrating the Passover feast, he is pointing to the fact that he is that ultimate Passover and then switches gears on the Passover and institutes what we know as the Lord's Supper, which brings us to the instruction of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So turn to 1 Corinthians 11 with me. This is the Apostle Paul. He apparently got this instruction directly from Christ. Uh, He was not one of the original followers of Jesus. He came after uh, Jesus had ascended into heaven. But he got these words directly from the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we have clear instruction on the Lord's Supper. And so I want to look at some specific aspects of the Lord's Supper and help us, help us determine, uh, help us see from the teachings of Scripture uh, why the Lord's Supper matters, maybe how the Lord's Supper matters, and those types of things. So first, well, let's consider the background of the Lord's Supper. We started in Luke chapter 22 on purpose. Because in the Luke passage we see some of the background of the Lord's Supper kind of uh, in, in real life form in the story of Jesus with his disciples. So there in Luke, we see Jesus on the night he's betrayed. He's celebrating this Passover meal with the disciples. So the background, the immediate background, long-focused long background of the Lord's Supper is that of the Passover meal, which we know is from Exodus chapters 12 and 13. The story of the 10th and final plague that comes to Egypt where the death angel goes through the land and kills all the firstborn and only passed over those homes where there was blood applied to the doorpost of that home. Blood that came from a sacrifice that the family observed, the sacrifice of a lamb. And so to commemorate the event, the event of the passing over, the passing over event, a family feast was instituted in the law, that being the Passover meal. And so Jews observe the Passover every year, annually, for generation and to generation to generation. And so what they were able to do by observing this Passover meal annually, they were able to actually reenact the events of that night. 
the night that sparked the exodus from the slavery in Egypt, and they could remember and remind one another of how God had miraculously brought them out of Egypt and how he did so by the blood of a lamb. And so there was actually a prescription how they would converse with one another and the father in the home would help the children in the home and the others in the home to understand what's actually going on in this Passover event. So the background of the Lord's Supper is that of the Passover. Now when we get to the Gospels, namely Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John doesn't record the Last Supper event. He records a lot of uh, events surrounding the Last Supper, but not the Last Supper specifically. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all three record this Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died. And so then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and other New Testament passages that demonstrate for us that this Lord's Supper, as we see in Luke 22 and then uh, 1 Corinthians 11, This Lord's Supper becomes part of the regular rhythm of the gathered church when they come together. And so when they were gathering together, they would often, if not every time, participate together in the Lord's Supper. And so why why, why is understanding the background so important to how we observe the Lord's Supper? Because we have to, as the church, we have to remember and we have to realize that we are participating in the final act that the Lord Jesus did with his disciples. When Jesus had this last supper in that upper room with his disciples, that was his last event with his disciples. And so the New Testament church now has the opportunity and the privilege to reenact these events, the same events that Jesus had with his disciples there. And so a key to remember as we think about the background, while the Passover points to it, the event in the upper room points to it, and then the pattern of the local church in the New Testament points to it, Jesus is actually the origin of the Lord's Supper. He is the focus of the Lord's Supper. And in fact, Jesus is the content of the Lord's Supper. We're about to receive bread and juice representing what? The body and blood of Jesus, right? So we're celebrating Jesus as we take the Lord's Supper together. And so for ages, just go back into church history. For ages, one activity has remained constant in how the church remembers the perfect, sacrificial, atoning death of Christ on the cross. And it is this, the Lord's Supper. And so we're in good company. This is not something that we just participate in. This is something the church gets to participate in. For years and years and years. And until Christ returns, the church will continue to participate in this. And so while we participate in the Lord's Supper in a local context, we have to understand, identifying together in this local context, context, we're also identifying in the global context, even today. And for ages past and ages to come. So the background of the Lord's Supper. Specifically, let's consider uh, purposes of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Two purposes that that Paul illustrates for us from the words of Christ um, in observing the Lord's Supper. The first purpose is that of remembering. In verses 24 and 25, Paul records, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So there's this reality of remembering that comes in the act of the Lord's Supper in the local church. And so through remembering Christ and through remembering the work of Christ, we are able to set our minds' attention and our hearts' affection on this horrific event of the death of Christ. Knowing that horrific event was not the end, but that horrific event led to this beautiful salvation that is now ours in Christ. And so what are, to, what are we to remember? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, essentially, we are to remember the gospel. 
We are celebrating as we take the Lord's Supper together as the church. We are remembering the gospel. We remember the blood that was shed to atone for all of our sin. All of our sin. Individually and collectively. All of our sin. We are to remember just how hopeless we were before Jesus. And so two elements that we're going to take in the Lord's Supper based on the prescription from the Bible. The bread and the blood. Representing the bread and the blood. So Jesus says, do this Take this, this is my body. He takes bread, breaks it, and gives this to them. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we receive the bread in just a minute, let this, let this thought settle into our minds. When we receive the bread in a minute, we remember that the Son of God took on flesh, became a humble man, obeyed the law perfectly in every way. He suffered and as the bread of life, died as a man. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So the bread reminds us that Jesus was person, was man, took on flesh, Philippians 2. And so we're remembering the body of Christ. We're also, by taking the juice, we're remembering the blood of Christ. And so we remember the blood that Jesus shed on our behalf. That his blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin and to grant us access to God. I'll say that one again. His blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin and to grant us access to God. And so while this is a unique event, as one writer put it, the Lord's Supper is not about channeling, it's not about imagining, it's not about dreaming, it's not about meditating. It's about fixing our thoughts on a focused point in history, on a real body that was given that was beaten and scourged and spit upon and nailed to a cross and real blood that flowed from that cross. We fix our thoughts on that reality. We remember. And so we fix our thoughts on the cross and the completed work of Christ on that cross. Church, our sins are forgiven in Christ. Our sins are forgiven in Christ. We are new, we are free, we are full of hope in the future that we have in Christ. And so we remember this reality. We do this in remembrance of me in this accomplished work of Christ. Three directions that we are to remember according to what Scripture teaches us. Past, present, and future. We remember the past that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for our sins to be atoned. Absolutely sufficient. We remember the accomplished work of Christ. In the present, we remember that the presence of Christ is ours through the Holy Spirit. And His death, burial, and resurrection all give us life now. We're reminded of salvation. And we're reminded that we are to obey Him out of love. And so we maybe do things like renew our commitment to follow hard after Christ. We remember in the here and now that there's no sin that we've committed that's too great for us to know and walk in God's forgiveness. So we remember the past, we remember the present, but we also remember the future. We celebrate the Lord's Supper until He comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Christ is returning to make all things new. He is returning to make all things new. It is a promise of Scripture. It is not a maybe, it's not an if. It's a promise. And so as we celebrate this Lord's Supper, we're also remembering the future reality of the culmination of all things to the glory of Christ and for the good of the church. And so two purposes, one we remember, but also verse 26, 1 Corinthians 11, teaches us that we are to proclaim, to proclaim, we are to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 
In the supper, we experience the presence of Christ through the proclamation that Christ is united with His people, His church. And so what do we proclaim? What do we proclaim through the Lord's Supper? We proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. We are proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. We are proclaiming freedom. Let's not forget the background. The background of the Lord's Supper event is the Passover event of the Old Testament, which was freedom from slavery in Egypt. God's people had been enslaved to the Egyptians, and God moved in ways that God's people had no thought that God would move and ultimately set them free from slavery. And so the Lord's Supper background for us that we are proclaiming is that we were once slaves to sin, but not anymore. Not anymore. If you're in Christ, you're not a slave to sin anymore. So the purposes from the Bible of the Lord's Supper are that of remembering and proclaiming. So purposes, next, participants of the Lord's Supper. There's always this question of who can participate in the church's observance in the Lord's Supper. And so various perspectives and positions exist, but here at Redeemer we practice what we call open communion, which means if you profess to be a believer in Christ you are free to take the Lord's Supper. You do not have to be a member of this church to take the Lord's Supper. Um, And so we'll unpack that a little more. The Lord's Supper itself is an act of the gathered, believing family of the Lord Jesus. And so above all else, the Lord's Supper is a public act of worship. So just, just be mindful as we take the Lord's Supper together as a church. We are actually worshiping. We are worshiping the Lord by obeying His command to take the Lord's Supper. But it's an act of worship by the gathered church, as we see the example of Scripture. And so the Lord's Supper, in a unique and visible way, actually defines the church. The Lord's Supper is communal in nature. You see it in the New Testament. You see it here. Paul is addressing the church at Corinth, which, if you read in context before and after, they were not... um, not the best of churches in their day. He was addressing some things, some course corrections. But the, the reality is they were gathering together. And so it reminds us that the Lord's Supper is communal in nature. It is not individualistic, which goes against our American mindset. It occurs in the context of the local church gathering. It doesn't occur in small groups. It doesn't occur just with families. It doesn't occur with a couple buddies at the hunting camp. It occurs within the church. Note the emphasis on come together here in 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 17, in verse 17, Paul says, I do not commend you because when you come together, verse 18, when you come together as a church, verse 20, when you come together as a church, verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, verse 34, so that when you come together, this repeated theme of coming together. And so specifically note verse verse 18, where he says, you come together as a church. And so the principle is clear. The context for the Lord's Supper is that of the local church. If you look back into chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 
The word participation there is the familiar word koinonia, which most of us will be familiar with. The idea of fellowship, sharing something together, aligning ourselves with the body and blood of Christ with one another and his atoning sacrificial death for sinners. And so think about this. When we take the Lord's Supper together as the church, we're participating with Christ and with one another. And with one another in the Lord's Supper. We are one in Christ and we are one with one another. And so a shift maybe in the way that we practice Lord's Supper is that of more communal in nature and less isolation in how we uh, take this Lord's Supper together. So when we do this this morning, we will actually wait together and we will take the Lord's Supper together as the church. And so a few notes about participants. We mentioned this just a minute ago. Is this for members only? We said we practice open communion, which means professing believers in Christ, you're free to participate in the Lord's Supper, whether you're a member at Redeemer or not. Actually, no one is. We don't have membership yet, so that's good. Unbelievers, are, unbelievers however, are in, we're moving toward membership, by the way. Uh, unbelievers are encouraged to watch and to see the gospel displayed through this very visible act. All right, so if you're not a professing Christian this morning, our encouragement to you, our invitation to you is that sit back and watch. Just watch and see the gospel on display. And we're hopeful that as you sit back and watch and see the gospel on display, that God creates in you a new life. Redeems you by the blood and the body of Christ that we're celebrating. So, members only. Uh, another note about participants. What about children? Uh, it's always kind of, a, kind of a weird deal where mamas and daddies are trying to figure out, well, what do I do with my children? Same principle applies. If the child has repented of their sin and is trusted in Christ then he or she is free to participate. If, if that child is young or if that child has not expressed faith, repentance toward Christ, well then let them watch and let them ask questions. This type of event leads to great gospel conversations. I mean, it's just kind of odd for a child to see the whole church, all these adults and others, taking this bread and taking this juice and them not be a part of it. The question that's going to come from the child is what? Why? Right? Why, why can't I? And so then as parents, we have that opportunity to disciple our children. We need to be reminded that our children are not automatically part of the church. They don't come into the church by default. And we can trust that by not participating, that they will see that they are outside of Christ and actually need to be reconciled to God as children. All right, so children. What about baptism? Is baptism required? Baptism, we have to say, is preferred, but the New Testament makes no requirement for baptism in participating in the Lord's Supper. As we'll see next week, baptism is an act of obedience and a declaration that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. But if someone is redeemed and hasn't had opportunity to be baptized for various reasons, you're free to participate. Our encouragement is that baptism, however, needs to happen. All right, another note about participants. Is perfection required? Must I be free of sin? Well, if someone has been removed from church membership through church discipline well then one of the ways that that church discipline is enacted is they're forbidden to participate in the lord's supper because church discipline to its fullest extent matthew 15, matthew 18 actually removes the unrepentant individual from the believing community and so paul is going to say something like first corinthians ten twenty one: you cannot drink the cup of the lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't, you can't hold Christ in one hand and Satan in the other, is what he's saying there. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul tells the church not to eat with the person who's cut off from the believing community. 
Because participating in the Lord's Supper is one way we identify with the body of Christ. And if someone has been, ident- has been removed from that body through church discipline, then we have to say that person will be for- forbidden from taking the Lord's Supper. And so while the Lord's Supper is an open communion, it is also an exclu- exclusive communion, which begs the question, so must I be perfect? Must I be perfect? Like, who is worthy? This is the question that kind of comes out of that reality. But that's exactly the point of the Lord's Supper. That is exactly the point of the Lord's Supper. So some are going to use a verse like 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, which says, Let a person examine himself, then so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself, in a way that says if we have any sin, any issue, any problem, then we must refrain from the Lord's Supper. However, isn't this exactly what we're declaring in the Lord's Supper? That as a vile, wretched sinner, I'm coming to God for His grace. On the basis of the body and the blood of Christ. No merit of my own. Nothing that I bring to the table. No achievement that I have. But all on what Christ has done for me. And so in context, in 1 Corinthians 11, at the end of the chapter there, Paul is referring to, Paul is referring to the unrepentant self-centeredness that was rampant in the Corinthian church. And so we have to say that this warning does not necessarily apply to those who are wrestling with sin yet looking to the cross, but is actually referring to those who wrestle with sin and actually enjoy that sin. He's not referring to those who are fighting sin, who are hating sin, who are expressing repentance, moving toward Christ. And here's why. Because the Lord's Supper reminds us that we can't win the war with sin outside of what we're celebrating in the Lord's Supper, namely the Lord Jesus. And so if we've struggled and wrestled with sin this week in church, let's just collectively agree we have. In some form or another, we've struggled and wrestled with sin this week. Then we have all the more reason to participate in the Lord's Supper because we are declaring that there's nothing that I can do to overcome this. It's all on Christ. And in the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating the truth of Christ's redeeming love portrayed, showing us that His forgiveness is so real that we can actually taste it in a spiritual sense. And so through this physical sense of tasting, we're actually saying, no, the forgiveness of God is so real that we can taste it spiritually. One pastor put it this way. He says, I tell our people that the scriptures are not barring any who have ever danced with the devil. We all have. We simply cannot come to the table still holding the devil's hand. (laughs) As long as you are repentant, come. Be reminded of the cost of your sin. Hate it afresh. And be reminded that your Savior has paid the debt. Be reminded of the grace of God that is greater than your sin. Be humbled anew by grace which is staggeringly beyond what you could, what you could expect, ask, or think. Allow the truth of free grace to melt your heart and cause you to long all the more for holiness. And so as we participate in this Lord's Supper together, we're not coming to this table as perfect people. We're coming to this table as dreadfully imperfect people on the basis of the only one who was and is perfect on our behalf. Which makes this event all the more grand and glorious. Because as we're taking the bread and the cup together, we're saying it is only on this merit that I have any holiness, that I have any righteousness, that I have 
any reason to think that there would be any reason that I could stand before a holy God and not be condemned. It is on the basis of the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus. And so the participants of the Lord's Supper, who can participate? Sinners. (laughs) Sinners who are longing for Christ. And so while there is necessary reflection, while there is necessary repentance, the grace of... It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And as we're celebrating the kindness and the goodness of God through the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that our necessary response is that of what? Repentance. Repentance. And so no perfect people allowed because we're celebrating the perfect person. So purposes of the Lord's Supper, participants of the Lord's Supper, and then the priority of the Lord's Supper. Priority of the Lord's Supper. As you read the pages of the New Testament, the pattern of the early church seems to be a rather uh, frequent occurrence where they are coming together. Some would argue even weekly. And while this does not necessarily have to be prescriptive, it does remind us that there's a necessity of this constant reminder to remember and to proclaim the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so if we're going quarterly, that's way too long. Maybe monthly is even way too long. Because we have to remember, Jesus gave the Lord's Supper to the church to remind us of His completed, all-sufficient work on our behalf. To remind us of things like, we're no longer slaves to sin. We are free in Christ. We have an advocate with the Father who constantly intercedes for us. We know that our eternal future now and to come is secure in the persevering work of the Lord Jesus. We know that this life is not all that there is, that we have a glorious future waiting for us. We know that Christ will one day return and make all things new for our glory. And so what is our response to these realities? We remember. We remember. We do this in remembrance of me, according to the words of Christ. And so we can remember and we can rejoice because with the millions around the globe from different nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, we collectively are able to declare the finished work of Christ through the Lord's Supper. And so this is not just a me event. This is an us event. This is a collective event, a communal event. Now, another word about the priority. The Lord's Supper is not a somber funeral environment, which is kind of the tone it takes often. Right? Sometimes it just feels like you're celebrating someone who's dead. But he's not. (laughs) He's not dead. And so, while we revere the Lord, and we sit and stand in awe of the Lord appropriately, we also celebrate. We celebrate collectively. And we reflect on our sin, but we remember that that sin does not define us anymore in Christ. We're not slaves any longer. No, 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 no. We're not slaves. We're sons. We're sons. We're sons and daughters. And so we celebrate this together. And so listen to the words from J.I. Packer, and then uh, I'll give instruction on how we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as the church. J.I. Packer wrote this. We should be saying in our hearts, As sure as I see and touch and taste this bread and this cup, so sure it is that Jesus Christ is not a fancy, but a fact. That He is for real. 
that He offers me Himself to be my Savior, my bread of life and my guide to glory. He has left me this right, this gesture, this token, this ritual action as a guarantee of this grace. He instituted it, and it is a sign of life-giving union with Him. And I'm taking part in it. And thus I know that I am His, and He is mine forever. And so we celebrate this reality of the Lord's Supper. We do this in remembrance of Christ, and by doing so, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper uh, together, and here's, here's instruction. Uh, you're going to serve yourself. You're going to come up and serve yourself. We don't have the trays where you can pass them around, but we have a table where everything is set. Um, and so we're going to serve ourselves, but what I want us to do, just come, grab a piece of bread, grab a cup, and just go and sit back where you are. And as you're just looking at those tangible elements in your mind, pray. Pray. And if there's repentance that's necessary in your life, what a beautifully glorious opportunity to repent. If there's encouragement needed, what a fantastic time to ask the Lord to encourage your heart and your mind in that moment. If there's relationships that need to be made right, set your bread and cup on the ground and go make the relationship right. Pursue reconciliation because we've been reconciled. And so sit there for a moment until everyone's been able to serve themselves and be seated. And then we will, as the church, take this together. If, for some, if you're not a believer, if for some reason you aren't free to participate, well then, with no condemnation, with no shade thrown your way, you're free to observe everyone else. And my encouragement to you also has to be that of pray. Pray. Place yourself before the Lord and say, whatever it is, here I am, and I'm trusting in your grace. And so as, a, as the body of Christ, we will celebrate the body and the blood of Christ together. And so I'm going to pray. Liam's going to come and just play some light music for a moment as we all kind of, it's, it's awkward, I get it. Like this room's terribly set up for these kinds of things. And so just be patient with one another. Um, but just get the, get the bread and the cup. Just go sit back where you are. And just in the quietness of the moment, spend some time with the Lord. And then I'll give some instruction. We'll receive this together. And then we will celebrate by proclaiming the Lord's death in song. And then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, Lord, um, thank you that that you gave us this. The uh, demonstration of the body and the blood of Christ. So, Lord, we want to, uh, as your church, as the body of Christ, as the family, to honor the Lord Jesus by thinking about this rightly. And so, Lord, as we are serving ourselves and then being seated, pondering the reality of the all-sufficient atoning work of the Lord Jesus, Give us grace to do those things necessary. If that's repentance, if that's encouragement, if that's comfort, if that's worry, or to place those things before you and trust that in your kindness, Lord, you will work. Lord, thank you that there are no perfect people allowed. But we've been 
made righteous. We've been made perfect by the one who is perfect. And so help us to celebrate well as we take the Lord's Supper together. Be glorified as we remember the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.